Hello and welcome to the next edition of the Fit Finance Sessions. We're in pretty uncharted territory today. On all the other sessions we've done, I like to think I know roughly what we're talking about. But we're wading into a world that I have very little knowledge of, and that is the world of mortgages. I've never ever given mortgage advice, and if I'm honest, I've never wanted to. It's always seemed like a completely different beast to the kind of core financial planning that we do here at Efficient Portfolio. But given that at Efficient Portfolio we have two mortgage specialists, it seems to make sense that we spend some, uh, some time talking more about this and how you can kind of minimise the cost of borrowing and how you can work your way through what to me seems like a very complicated world. Now, as a result, you'll have to forgive my ignorance on some of these subjects, uh, but I'm going to just try and work my way through it. So we've got with us, we've got Tom Senegals, who's one of the financial planners here at Efficient Portfolio. We've also got Eric Duckworth with his 25 years experience of giving mortgage advice. And we've got Dan Smalley, who is also one of our mortgage advisors here at Efficient Portfolio, to help us navigate the complex world of mortgages and offset mortgages and interest rates and holiday let mortgages and all of this sort of complexity that seems like a foreign language to me. So let's kick off. Um, I suppose the reason why we started uh, introducing mortgage advisors to efficient portfolio was because we felt that actually it could be done better if the financial planner is working closely with the mortgage advisor. So Tom, do you want to just give me an example of how that works and why we, why we think it's important that the financial planner and the mortgage advisor work closely together? I think ultimately as financial planners, we're trying to achieve the client's objectives and sometimes there may be different routes that we can take to achieving those objectives. Um, so for example, a client of um, ours wanted to purchase a London property and uh, whilst they had the capital to purchase that property outright, rather than tying in all their capital into that property, um, by working closely with Dan, we managed to secure an interest-only mortgage off the back of their uh, fixed uh, pension income. And that allowed them to um, not tie up all of their capital, not throw away money in rent, um, so they can still benefit in the uplift of London house prices, but almost get a, a cheaper subsidised rent and, and still have access to the property in, in, in there. Fantastic. And I, and I would agree with that. I mean, I, I think working closely together with a mortgage advisor makes a lot of sense because quite often where clients have got a separate mortgage advisor, you might find that the client comes into your review meeting and goes, great news, I've remortgaged my property, it's really cheap, I've extended the mortgage out to 30 years, and so therefore I'm only paying £400 a month. And I would say, well, okay, that's great, but we did all the protection stuff based on a 25-year mortgage, so we've now got to increase the cost of the insurance, which is essentially dead money. Excuse the pun there, that's not very nice, is it? Um, but also, we've kind of geared everything up to be retiring 25 years from now, so now that that, that mortgage is kind of thrown the, 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 the plan out of, of kilter. So kind of working closely, I think, with the mortgage advisor is really important. Um, and I think it means that actually we can do a better job by the client when we do that. Um, what are your experiences of that, uh, Dan and Eric, you know, in terms of working more closely with the financial planner? I think <clears throat> from my experience of, of working with um, Tom and Charlie on, on this, um, it's good to, to have a portfolio approach. For example, like you said, with a 30-year mortgage term, it may be affordable to go for 20 years. And using the, the cash flow forecasting and a, the portfolio as a whole, you can help save a lot of interest. 
um, you know, rather than just going for the cheapest option. So it's all about building up the portfolio in the most efficient way. Um, I think just trying to save interest is important, um, yeah. along with you know costs, etc., like insurance, like you said. Okay, fantastic. Um, and I suppose let's start off talking about mortgages by actually starting with the housing market. What are you guys seeing with regards to the housing market? Is it is it buoyant? Is it stagnant? I think it's pretty. I think it's pretty 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 uh, flat at the moment. Really, um, you know, looking for a bit of a boost in in the spring, which really hasn't happened. I think we can blame a bit on the B word. Um, We've got nearly five minutes into this without mentioning Brexit. That's good. That's a good start. <laughs> Um, that's my view. It is having an effect. People are waiting to see if we can get a result on it. Um, and therefore, um, I don't think it's going down, but it's certainly not. It's flat. Yeah. I think it probably is. Well, what do you see, Dan? I'd agree. And I think with the, the stamp duty uh, costs, a lot of people are looking to remortgage and maybe extend, maybe go into the attic or you know, uh, into the basement, uh, as an example, as a lot more cost-efficient way than, than moving to a new property. Um, so I'm seeing a lot more of that um, you know, remortgage activity ahead of movers uh, in the market at the moment. Are, we, are you seeing uh, a dif- differences in different sort of price bands, for example, on the cheaper end of the market or the more expensive end of the market and the, and the cap- middle, middle territory? Are you seeing are, are some areas more buoyant than other areas? I think, um, personally, first-time buyers seem to be a lot more active in the market. Potentially, the tax changes are helping with the supply of um, stock that would classically be for investors and first-time buyers. Um, the tax changes, which I'm sure we'll talk about later, um, potentially having a positive impact. Um, first-time buyer completions were actually up um, in January. Um, so it's, that's quite a buoyant area. In the middle, like I said, I think it's a lot more remortgage activity. Um, and on the top end, that's kind of its own kind of market. It's always kind of moving along quite nicely um, for the uh, you know the expensive properties uh, in in the prime locations. I think. What about I you? I think I'd, I'd agree with Dan on that. I mean, the removal of the stamp duty for first-time buyers or below three hundred thousand anyway, which which effectively is ninety-five percent of first-time buyers, yeah. has definitely helped. There's no doubt about it. Um, but um, you know, the, the, because there's um, there's less activity probably um, in the market. The um, availability for them of housing, people moving on, in other words, releasing the first-time buyer houses, doesn't give them so much choice at the minute. So there's not so much stock available to them. I think that's what I hear when I chat to estate agents, yeah. is that they actually sell what comes on the market. It's just a problem of not enough stock. Not enough stock. And I think the higher-end properties, what I'm hearing is the higher-end properties are actually struggling because the stamp duty is so expensive there um, that 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 is is prohibitive for, for many people to kind of take that. that oh, it step. is definitely, yeah. Um, but also, I think that probably coming back to Brexit, fueled by the fact that you know the foreign money isn't flowing into the UK in, in the way that it was because of uncertainty around Brexit, and that is what has un, underpinned the top end of the market, isn't it? For um, previously, yeah, yeah so, certainly in London, anyway. Oh yeah, London. That's kind of that overspills it to the uh, to the surrounding counties. Yeah, it? I mean, London's definitely come off the boil for sure. I mean, it's still activity, mind. There is still, you know, it's not, uh, it's not all doom and gloom by any means. And this time would be a normal. Nor- this time of year would normally be a buoyant time of the year. Why? Why would? Why would be? Why do people normally um, go out and buy properties now, but don't seem to be quite as much at the moment? Uh, it tends to be that in in the new year, you 
people start to do uh, get things in order and start to move but at springtime there tends to be a boost and people generally want to if they've got families move before the end of August so they can start the new school year right. um, and, and we've seen a, an increase in inquiries through, through the internet about people looking for mortgage advice at, at the moment because of that uh, reason leading up to, to the end of summer holidays. And I think it also people like to you know look around properties in spring which means tend to people people tend to list the properties in spring it usually takes three months so now seems like it should be the busy time. I think, yeah, I think the sun coming out helps as well. You know, yeah. it does. It, it definitely people start, you know, coming out of hibernation, as it were, and, and the housing is one of the uh, one of the things they start considering. I'm sure. Absolutely. And what about interest rates? What do we think is going to happen with interest rates over the uh, over the coming years? I I, I personally think they're um, pretty benign for the foreseeable future. Certainly until we get the dreaded behind us. Um, I, I just can't see anything within the economy that, that is going to... Um, although, having said that, the, the, the pound has gone off recently, hasn't it, um, because of worries, and that could infect inflation, of course, which yeah. could affect interest rates. But personally, I don't think... I, I can't see them going anywhere until 2021. Yeah. Anybody else got any thoughts about interest rates? I think Mark Carney suggested that the market is only factoring in maybe one rate increase next year and his sort of suggestion is if there is movement on Brexit then there, there could be a more steady increase in rates. I don't think they're going to go typically high um, or back to previous levels but I think uh, I think if you had a similar outcome to where the rates are in the US at maybe 2% um, whether that happens in the next year or two I, I don't think so I think they will stay as the economy grows and we go through whatever this Brexit period is but I think longer term rates will start to go back up but I don't see them going up to 5, 6, 12% like they were many many years ago and, and do we think that, that um, banks and, and borrowers are taking account of the fact that interest rates are going to rise at some point I, th- I think certainly there's more people considering longer term fixed rates then, you know, a few years ago, everybody was taking the shorter term fixed rates because they're cheaper, interest rate wise. People are definitely considering longer term fixes now to protect against potential rises yeah. and, and, and also not having to review it again for five years yeah. rather than doing it every two years. What roughly would be the difference in an interest rate between a two year fixed and a five year fixed? 0.5, 0. 0.6 uh, okay. percent. So quite a significant amount. Well, if you're borrowing a lot of money, certainly. Yeah. It's a significant amount. And particularly if you're sitting there saying, well, actually, between two and five years, I don't see there being that much, you know, more than a half a percent increase or a 1% increase, then that would still be a cost-neutral decision, wouldn't it? Indeed. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. um, okay, that's interesting. So you mentioned, Dan, that first-time buyers are becoming more active. Um Oh, is there plenty of mortgages out there that first-time buyers can get? Is it easy for a first-time buyer to get a mortgage nowadays? I'd say at the moment there's there's plenty of options. You know, mortgages at ninety five percent loan to value are becoming more more widely available across the high street and, and beyond, which is really good for for first-time buyers. Obviously, with the smaller deposits um, and just with house prices at the moment, it, it does make it a bit harder to get into the to the more prime rates. So competition is really high. Um, so you know prices coming down, um, which is good um, for first-time buyers. 
Um, yeah, so I think I think the market is is pretty good for first time buyers at the moment, especially with help to buy options as well, um, which can really help um, you know people get their foot onto the ladder. Um, and shared ownership schemes as well. Um, you see quite a few of those coming up um, equally. So there's lots of options for first-time buyers at the moment, um, and all fairly competitively priced, in my opinion. Uh, okay, so I, mean, so I think I think more than what Dan says. I mean, they're more than competitively priced. I mean, money's never been cheaper for first-time buyers. In my experience, over a long period, you know, it's cheap money, even at ninety-five percent, as Dan says. So if you've got a five percent mortgage. You can probably get away with sorry, sorry, so 5% deposit um, and your 95% mortgage, you can probably still get away with, with a cheaper mortgage than you'd be paying equivalent in rent. Is that right? I would say almost yeah. certainly. Yeah. yeah. I've, I've got absolutely an example here for a 95% um, mortgage for a two year fix is, is sub 3%, 2.99%, which is, is really, really quite cheap. Um, and yeah. And if you got a bigger deposit, what would the what would the sort of typical interest rate? What would you think that could get as low as? I mean, if you're moving down to sixty percent, so you know, really quite prime, you'd be about one point four four percent as an example. So there's about one and a half percent between, but that's thirty five percent extra. But even even at, even at eighty five percent loan to value, Charlie. So you've got a fifteen percent deposit. You're still sub two percent. That's incredible. It's isn't cheap it? money. It is, it, you know, historically, so. it is cheap money. I think coming back to Eric's point about it being cheap money, if, if inflation is at two to two and a half percent and you're borrowing at less than that, it's it's not really costing you anything. Yeah, it does. and and then you compare come back to what you talked about right at the start, Tom, with you know, does somebody take all of their capital out of a portfolio that let's say is generating them five percent a year to buy a property, or do they take out less, borrow at two percent and leave more money growing at five percent? I mean would make why, sense, wouldn't it? Why wouldn't you do that? Exactly. Yeah, I mean, obviously, you're taking a little bit more risk by doing that because the five percent is not guaranteed, and the two percent is. But you know, at the moment, you'd be um, you know, that's very, very cheap money, isn't it? And I, th- I think that's where working with a financial planner can help you because that's probably one of the most common questions we get asked: is should I be paying off my mortgage or should I be doing something else? Well, if we use a lifetime cash flow forecast, we can show you what the impact is of, of doing both. Effectively, if you've got the money invested in a liquid portfolio, you can always pay it off as, as rates go up. Um, but also, we've been doing a lot of work where if people have shorter term goals or they're going to move in three or four years, starting to pay down the mortgage because of the risk of uh, a short term movement in markets and, um, and and using offset mortgages and things to achieve those goals in the short term. Great. Well, we'll come back to offset mortgages in a minute because, um, but I think it's, it's a great um, point because. I mean, I was chatting to a friend I was cycling with recently, and he was saying, you know, I'm overpaying my mortgage, but I've now got this problem of the fact that my, my, I can't make as much pension contributions because my salary's gone up. And I'm saying, well, okay, let's, let's put less into paying off the mortgage and fund the pension for the, the next few years while you've got this allowance left, because in two or three years' time, your allowance on your pension is going to be far smaller than it is today. So use that, get the tax breaks as well as the growth and then think about paying off the mortgage a bit later because, as I say, the cost of money is uh, is so low. So it, you're right, working together as a team makes uh, makes much more sense. There's, there's always a premium for liquidity and I think people forget that. If you've got access to the money, you can do things with it and achieve different objectives. And if legislation changes, you can move swifter. Whereas 
if you're paying down a mortgage, a lot of it can be tied up. So it's about trying to get all of those goals to, to, to work in. And I definitely saw that as a business owner because I was trying to move house right in the middle of the credit crunch when all the business owner mortgages were just falling to pieces. And that because I had an interest only mortgage and because I therefore got money saved up in ISAs and investments, it still gave me the ability to move house and spend money on doing up that house that had I had a repayment mortgage for that period of time, there's no way I could have done what I did. Um, so yeah, liquidity is, is, is very powerful. Um, so great news for first time buyers. Now, what about buy-to-lets? If you've got buy-to-let mortgages, is that good news at the moment? I think it's not the best news. It's definitely um, a trickier period for, for landlords with the tax changes. So landlords were recently seeing their tax bills go up. Why, why is that? Explain why their tax bills have gone up. So over the um, past three to, and the next one uh, tax years, um, landlords are the amount of interest, mortgage interest that they can offset against their, their revenue, their income, um, has been reduced. Um, so it's gone from more of a tax on profit to a tax on revenue. Um, so if the portfolio is not structured correctly or if there's too much lending on the portfolio, um, it, it can be a bleak reading um, on, the, on the tax return, I think. It does seem harsh. To, to, it's essentially a tax on turnover as, a, as, a ta- as opposed to a tax on profit. It's particularly harsh on uh, high-grade taxpayers, of course. Yes. They are, have been hit the hardest. Yeah. I mean, it, it, they've gone from almost making a profit on the tax relief they got from their portfolios to definitely making a loss. Yeah. It's, it's gone that far over. And are you seeing many people wanting to get out of the buy-to-let market because of this? No, I, I'm not. I, I, I'm certainly not seeing as much people wanting to get into it, for sure. Yeah. But I'm not seeing none of my clients uh, are rushing to get out of it. They're quite happy with their portfolios. Uh, and they've adjusted to the, to the to tax uh, situation, but they're, no, they're not looking to sell. I think that's if, not my experience. If you, uh, for the long-standing landlords as well, they've had properties over the last ten or so years, uh, potentially brought those in in dips in the market. You can still have a profitable portfolio, but definitely for for new entrants to the market, it's very tricky. And potentially, I feel that's what's led to potential more stock for the first-time buyers to to pick up. Usually, they'd be in competition, and it tends to be the landlords that can um, outmuscle the first-time buyers just due to deposit uh, potentially cash buyers as well. And of course, the, 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 the thing we haven't discussed on buy-to-let is, although the tax regime has changed, you know, the long-term capital growth of the buy-to-let property obviously is, um, is useful. It is, but you, you equally, if you're making a loss all of a sudden on your month-by-month income, I appreciate you, you, you pay your tax in one lump, not month-by-month, but it's, it, there's only so long that you can sit there waiting for capital growth, but paying out a loss each yeah, month for the yeah. rent. You see, I think that this, I think it's interesting that you're not seeing people sell. Uh, I've got one client that's trying to sell a 40 property portfolio at the moment. Have you? But I also think it's only really probably next January and definitely the January after that people are going to really feel the bite of this, aren't they? Because that's when they're going to get their tax bills. Tax bills. And that's when I think a lot of people are going to go, do you know what? Actually, I can't afford to keep paying tax on, you know, more tax than I'm generating yeah. in, in yeah. profit. Yeah. I think the professional landlords will probably still stay and they generally have companies set up which is a, a different structure and, and not always taxed in the same way. Um, it's the, 
it's the people who've accumulated one, maybe two properties who suddenly think, well, I don't actually have the ability to sustain this and I could probably put my capital somewhere else, which is a bit more liquid and a bit easier for me. But I think the professional landlords who've been doing it for a long time can weather the storm a, a lot better. Yeah, and you're right. If they've done it in a limited company, happy days because they can still offset the, the uh, interest, can't they? But yeah, you're right. It's those accidental landlords that will just say, do you know what? Nuts enough. I want out, and I think that will be good for first-time buyers. Um, and again, I think it's just a huge headwind with regards to all buy to let in, and tax in general, because you know they're paying a higher rate of capital gains tax than for any other asset. They're paying um, an additional three percent stamp duty as well. You know, if you add that in with rising interest rates at some point, I think it's a massive headwind for for the buy to let market. Yeah. Yes, it does. Yeah. Absolutely. Now, Tom, you mentioned offset mortgages. Um, why would people use offset mortgages? Um, I mean, Dan and Eric will know a lot more about them, but uh, you can effectively offset your savings against the, the interest rate in, um, on, on, on the mortgage. So rather than having 50 grand sat in a cash ISA, probably paying less than half a percent, at least if that cash is offset against the mortgage, then the rate of uh, return on those savings is is the effective rate of interest on the, on the mortgage. So if that's closer to two percent, it's a far better use of the money. Brilliant. And, and and what and are there e- you know readily available offset mortgages? And are they paying? Do you pay a similar interest rate for them? So the, the offset um, mortgage market is there's there's a couple of lenders that will, will look at these. Um, rates are quite competitive, but you do pay a premium for that liquidity, as we said earlier. So you you may be looking at. 25 to 40 uh, basis points on the uh, comparable 75% loan to value or 50% loan to value product. Um, but as Tom said, if you're saving in cash and for the clients that like to have a lot of cash in their portfolio and they're receiving half percent from the bank, but you can offset that 2% interest, it makes a lot of sense um, for those kind of clients. Potentially still a 1% gain on doing that. Definitely. Right? And it buys it with the liquidity. You know, if there's a situation or something comes up or you think actually we're going to pay off the mortgage or whatever it might be, then you've got access to that capital immediately. Call up the bank, take the money and you, you can use it. So it's, um, it's a very powerful tool, I think, um, for the right client, especially those that like to hold a lot of cash or even those that are considering making large overpayments each month. Rather than pay off the mortgage, hold it in the offset account, again, you could take that money if you need it rather than tie it up in the mortgage. Okay. Um, obviously, you could remortgage out, but that, that would bring additional costs. So it potentially could work for those kind of clients as well. Okay, fantastic. And what about remortgaging? You know, is there a uh, is that easy enough at the moment? Is it a buoyant market? It is, yeah. I mean, remortgaging, in my experience, again, it's always been buoyant because it makes no sense for anybody to stay, to go and transfer to the lender's standard variable rate um, when they can remortgage and and get a much much better rate. So just just give me an example of what you think typically a standard variable rate would be. Four point nine nine percent. Wow. So you if you're inactive and you stay on that, you pay nearly five percent as opposed to remortgaging and getting down as low as well one point four. Depending on your loan to value, yeah. absolutely. I mean, it's it's just a no brainer. So um, really, and therefore, remortgaging, in my view, has always been buoyant because. Most people have the sense to do it. Yeah. And what sort of time frame do you think people need to get in contact with a mortgage advisor like you guys uh, before the, the... Three to four months. So three to four months before their deal ends, they get in contact with you guys, and then you guys can kind of find the best rate out there and make sure that they pay yeah. the little, the least possible. Absolutely. Okay, yeah. brilliant. 
Um, and in, is that the same for both buy to let and residential? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Still okay. exactly the same. The, the, the rates are very similar, slightly higher for buy to let. Standard variable rates similar to, to residential, but the, uh, the 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 remortgage rates are slightly higher for buy to let, but still much much more competitive. Right. Okay. Fantastic. And um, well, what about interest only mortgages? So I mentioned that I've uh, used interest only mortgages myself because I think it gives me more liquidity and more options. Um, is that still a? I mean, obviously that's not been a very buoyant market because lenders have been really anti-interest uh, only mortgages. I don't think it's the lenders so much as the uh, our regulator. Oh, okay. Yes. The regulator doesn't like interest only mortgages because they're concerned that people have had interest only mortgages in the past and didn't know they had interest only mortgages and therefore found themselves at the end of the term not being able to repay. Correct. And therefore a lot of lenders have pulled out of interest only mortgages because the regulator doesn't like them. However, there is still a market for certain clients with, who require an interest-only mortgage. I think you mentioned your own situation earlier. Worked very well for you. And there are still clients they do work very well for. I found it, I mean, I know that it makes um, going through the mortgage application, though, ten times more difficult. You know, I had to prove that I could pay it off in five or six different ways, you know, downsizing. And I, I think Charlie, that's, a, that's another good reason to use uh, I'm probably biased. Use an advisor. I think that makes the process a lot easier. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, but particularly for interest-only mortgages, because you could, you guys have got the experience of Correct. knowing which ones are sensible to talk to and which ones really aren't. Exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Brilliant. Um, what about other areas of fi- your finance? You know, what if I was going to develop a property? You know, what what uh, what options are out there for that? There is, there's definitely um, uh, quite a few options for, for people that want to develop properties personally. They are very expensive though, and it, I think the market is catered to, towards the bigger um, home builders and developers rather than, like we said earlier, for the accidental landlords and people that want to you know, potentially develop on, on the land at the back of their house or something. It's a lot more expensive, but we've seen a lot of it so, uh, in the past couple of years. And I think the rise in house prices has led to you know quite a buoyant area uh, of the market for that. Um, but I think it is coming into some headwind. Um, I've seen personally with some clients who are looking to buy their first plot of land to develop on. Um, it's very tricky on a, on a pure development finance um, loan, um, just based on the cost. They're quite costed out of the market, uh, priced out of the market, I should say. Sorry. And they have, to be, they have to be more expensive because it's short-term finance and the lender has to make their money somewhere. Yeah. You know, they're not lending you the money for 30 years. Uh, and therefore the rates are going to be higher yeah absolutely but this is again where uh, working together with a financial planner works well because we had a client that we were dealing with Dan didn't we where uh, he's got a lot of money sat in his business he wanted um, he wanted to access that money so that he could buy a plot of land develop it build his his dream home on it Um, but by taking the money out of the business he'd have a huge tax bill Um, so what we were able to do is say well actually traditional lending wasn't going to be very good because of what you've just said in terms of high interest rates. But what we were able to do was speak to a private bank and say, well, okay, if that, if that money inside the company is invested by the private bank, then they'll use that as security to lend on what's called asset-backed finance. That then meant that he could borrow the money without taking it out of the business, but borrowing it at sort of 2-ish percent, wasn't it? It was kind of maybe 2.3, something like that. Um, 
which meant he saved him a huge tax bill, right. um, but he could access the finance that he needed. So whilst that's not going to work for a lot of people, it's kind of working together with that combined expertise of your understanding of the mar- mortgage market and my understanding of the private banking world and the investments uh, and how that opens up the private bank that can kind of create some quite innovative solutions. I think um, Eric has probably seen the same business owners. I don't want to take too much money out of the business due to the, the tax bills and the tax implications and hold the cash within the business. But then when it comes to buying property, they, they could struggle to buy the property that they, they, they can afford, they feel they can afford, but the bank um, doesn't quite agree. So I think it can be really quite useful to use an advisor for um, this kind of scenario, looking at alternative options, like you say, um, whether it's asset-backed land, lending or um, lenders who are more kind to retain profits rather than just pure income um, on a month-by-month basis. Um, so there are options out there. Um, and that actually leads me on to a final question, which is, for business owners, how is it calculated? Do lenders work on the, the amount of money that they bring into the business? Because you know, quite often a business owner might actually be a one-man band just you know, working as a consultant, or is it about profit, or is it about drawings? How does it work? It really, it really depends on it. it, it, it again, different lenders calculate differently, and it, and and it starts from how much of the business the the person owns. Right. In other words, if they're at more than a twenty five percent shareholder in the business, they are treated by lenders as being self employed. Okay. Although they own the business, they're self employed from the point of view of a lender looking at them to lend money to them. Mm-hmm. So um, on that basis, they'd be looking at their, their income. Um, if, they're, if they're 100% owner of the business, lenders will look at the dividend drawings plus salary drawings. Uh, and then another lender will look at it in another way on net profit plus salary and ignore dividends. Right. So again, it, it's knowing... Looking at a specific area for a specific person, it's Dan and I's job to know which lender to talk to to present the best case for them. Right, okay. So, I mean, yeah, I think that's my experience of borrowing money as a business owner is it would be so difficult for me just to go onto the internet or go onto... Oh, yeah. You've just got to find the right lender to speak to. And, you know, I look at who my home mortgage with is and and my holiday let one is, and... I actually don't even think I'd heard of one of the one of the two lenders and I certainly wouldn't have ever thought to approach the other one. It's you guys knowing the market and going, actually, for your specific situation, this is the best lender. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, th- I think on, on that point, it's, you know, you could go down the high street and you could walk into to Barclays and their criteria might not fit your situation. Um, and then you've, you've gone through that hassle and, you know, it could be quite demoralising when you think, oh, actually, maybe we can't buy this property. Um, but just, you know, utilising an advisor, we, we know the criteria in a little bit more detail so we can say, actually, well, we can't, we can't go to that lender for this specific reason to so save the time and the hassle and just, you know, direct where we think is, is the best place to go. Um, so it can save you a lot of time and, you know, it could be a lot of stress if you think, oh, we can't buy the property that, you know, we've, we've been around twice and we, you know, we really want to move there for the kids or whatever it might be. Um, you know, so it can take a lot of stress and a lot of, stress and a lot of pressure off, um, you know, business owners and buyers that maybe have been, um, you know, given an answer they didn't want to hear um, for a reason that was not you know, going to stand up at a different lender. And of course, by coming to you guys, hopefully you'll find them the absolute best rate that's out there, which means that if that's 25, 50 basis points less than they would have found themselves, 
and that means that you can save them a huge amount of money over uh, over the, the term of that, that deal. Absolutely, definitely. Yeah. And particularly if it's a, obviously a large loan, which very often yeah. is with business owners. Yeah, yeah. Uh, go on, Tom. I, th- I think I've seen a lot of clients struggling or trying to use a price comparison website and then doing it themselves. And... Uh, sort of saying, oh, can can you help? And then Dan and Eric get involved, and the whole process is a lot smoother. And I think it technically myself and Charlie could get qualified to to do it and do our own mortgage. But I think we've always seen the benefit of doing it ourselves. So I don't think there's any different for, for the clients going through that process either. Yeah. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Right. Well, I think I've learned some stuff uh, this morning, guys. So thank you very much. Um, I hope. Yeah, the listeners have, have uh, learned some stuff about uh, mortgages too. Um, uh, it's a, it, yeah, it's like a, a dark art to me, but um, but there's some really useful stuff to to learn more about. Um, so thank you very much, guys, for for being part of that. Um, next fit finance sessions is about the best books that you can read on money. Uh, so we're all frantically trying to read as many books as we possibly can. In all seriousness, we generally have read a few already. But um, yeah, so look out for the next Fit Finance session on a slightly different topic on the best books that you can uh, read to help you with your money. Hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you very much for listening and we look forward to chatting to you again.